single one of us at one time of our lives has experienced the freeing feeling of finishing the semester or getting out of your last final exam to go home. Finishing your trade school and you're free for at least a few weeks. Remember that? You know, we all do. I love to watch our military academies. I mean, can you imagine, because the plebes are already in, in school right now. They, they, they reported a month ago. These are 18-year-olds going to West Point or to Air Force Academy, Midshipman Naval Academy. And they've been, they started at 18, at 22 they finish, and then they reach graduation day. And it's just the greatest scene in the world, even better than Ohio State. Sorry. You know, you know, everybody throws their hats at graduation, but not like these people. They have accomplished something, you know, and they just throw up their hats a thousand miles wide and woo, right? They're free for at least 24 hours before they get shipped off, right? Right? It's just, it's freeing. You know what that feels like. No matter what trade school or college you went to or community college, you, you accomplished something and now you're free for at least a few days. Paul writes today for us to not only know but to experience that feeling times a million in Christ. So I encourage you to open up with me in your Bibles to Romans chapter 7 and 8. Because we're going to realize once and for all our standing with God, the experience of God's Holy Spirit renewing our lives constantly, and the Holy Spirit's liberating gifts. I had Carol read for us this passage going back to last week. For those of you who weren't able to be with us, you know, Paul in chapter 7 confesses to the reader, I stink. I'm not good at this Christian thing. For what I want to do, I don't do. And the very thing I do is the thing I don't want to do, and God's truth is not in me. Has anybody ever felt that way? Any of us. That's Paul's point. Here's the guy who knows the Old Testament practically by heart. He's planning, he's the greatest church planner in human history. He struggles with sin. And anybody who's walked with Christ for a long time, the more you grow in Christ, you realize what a great wretch you are. And today in our 915 class, one of the people we read about this week was John Newton. He's the author of Amazing Grace. How sweet a sound that saved a wretch like me, borrowing from Romans 8, 7 rather. A wretch. That's who we are. And yet... Verse 25, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I serve myself the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. There is therefore now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. Because in Paul's day, the verses and chapters weren't numbered. It was one continual thought. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ my Lord. There is therefore, therefore, there is no condemnation in Christ Jesus, my friends. That's the first point. 
Our standing with God is not based on our performance. It's based on his performance. And as you have placed your trust in Jesus Christ, there's no condemnation. God's not angry with you in Christ Jesus. As you have placed all your trust in life, in the finished work of Christ in the cross, you're wearing his righteousness, you're clothed in it, and he sees you in Jesus. This is the climax of chapters 6 and 7. Started off, he, Paul is anticipating that question, even in my struggle with my sin, how can I be sure I'm right with God? Well, you can be assured because there's no condemnation in Christ Jesus. You know, chapter 6, verse 11, consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Because every fact in our lives will lie to you. Our flesh, the world, Satan, you're not good at this. You stink. You're not a good Christian. Look at how you failed today. Whatever it might be, we all experience it and we all buy it. And it puts us right back on the performance wheel. And Paul is saying, nope, you're dead to sin. You're alive in Christ, chapter 6. Yeah, we struggle with sin, chapter 7. But thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ, there's no condemnation in Christ Jesus. Uh, you know, I'm dead to sin. That Gene Sherman's dead. I'm alive in Christ Jesus, and so are you. It's a process. That's what chapter 7 was all about. It's a process. We grow and we stumble. But you're here. You care at least a little. Right? You're in Christ Jesus. This is an inconvenient time to be here on Sunday morning. And you woke up out of bed. You brushed your teeth, I hope. <laughs> you, you combed your hair and you got here. Why? Because the Holy Spirit's doing something in you that you are destined for glory. All right? You're in Christ Jesus, brothers and sisters. The non-believer doesn't care at all. The non-believer said, ah, skip it, and they keep skipping, 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 and they never come back. They're not part of the body of Christ. There's no desire whatsoever. They don't care. They've bought into the idols of American suburbia, the idols of comfort, the idols of lifestyle, the idols of education and idols of materialism and kids' sports. None of those are bad things, but they're not ultimate things. And Paul's reminding us of the ultimate here. Okay? There's no condemnation in Christ Jesus. So there was because there's no condemnation. Paul doesn't stop there. In verse 2, he begins to talk about the experience, the miraculous experience that we all have in the renewing and liberating Holy Spirit's work in our lives. Verse 2 introduces that work. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Here, the word law carries with it uh, the idea of principle. You were under the old principle of sin and death, but that has been transcended by the new principle of life in Jesus. So you're free. The old principle showed us our sin, stirred up our sin, and we sinned even more. And then brought us to condemnation, but the new principle liberates us. Death has been replaced with life. 
Paul gives the Holy Spirit a wonderful name here. It's the Spirit of life. Like when the Holy Spirit hovered over creation and out of nothing <laughs> created the world. That was a miracle. You're a miracle in Christ Jesus. Romans 4.17 gives, the Holy Spirit gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that did not exist. The Spirit of life administers the work of God the Father and thus secures our liberation. We are free, my friends. God's work is described in verses 3 and 4. Verse 3 and 4 says, For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do, by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin. He condemns sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. The law held up its, its standard, okay? But was unable to empower us to live up to that standard because of the weakness of our flesh. There was nothing wrong with the law. The problem lay with the weakness of our flesh. So verse 3, for God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. Since our flesh was inadequate, God sent Jesus in the likeness of sinful flesh. Paul's very careful about his words here. He does not say Christ came in sinful flesh, which would imply that sin was in him. Nor did he say the likeness of flesh, because that might imply Christ only seemed to be in the flesh. What he said was he's in the likeness of sinful flesh. Because Jesus took on man's flesh without becoming a sinner. The great 20th century British theologian Charles Cranfield writes, The Son of God assumed the selfless fallen human nature that is ours, but in his case that fallen human nature was never the whole of him. Christ became a sin offering as he took our sin without sinning. Thus, his flesh remained strong and unfallen. As a result, he condemned sin in the flesh. That is, Jesus has conquered our sin. Going back to 6.1, you're dead in Christ. You're dead in your human nature, and you're risen in Christ. This is the proof of the argument that there's no condemnation in verse 1. You see what Paul's doing? In 2 and 3, he's, he's going around, coming, circling back the argument that a reader might think. You know, because there's people out there who hear this and say, you're going too far. You can't mean that no matter what I do, all my sins, once I become a Christian, all my sins are past, right? You know? You mean to tell me that all my sins, past, present, and future, are forgiven? I'm accepted as even as I am in hell and having a quiet time and being obedient to God? I'm accepted like that? You really? What's my motivation to live then? The Christian life, right? Well, there's a few of those out there. And to those people who think that way, I would say, you're not arguing with me. You're arguing with Paul. You're arguing with the whole Bible. 
Because the whole unifying theme throughout the Bible is the love of God in Jesus Christ and what he's done for us upon the cross. See, Jesus was condemned so that you wouldn't be, which means either Jesus was condemned from your sins and we're not, or you can be condemned from your sins and Jesus is not. They can't both happen, right? If Jesus was condemned for your sin, those sins can never bring, be brought into condemnation. Because then God would have to make two payments. No, it's one or the other. If Jesus was condemned for your sin and you believe in him, set your mind on that reality, my friends. If anybody here is saying, oh, I, I just can't, I, I can't buy that, that's just going too far. I would say, you set your bar too low. You need to get greater aspirations. You haven't learned what Paul says in Colossians to set your mind on things above. This is a reality. And so you're a new creation in Christ. Praise God. Live into it. Okay? I know you don't feel like it. It's not about getting your act together. He's gotten your act together for you. Live it. The principle of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set us free from the principle of spirit of, of death and destruction. Thus, when we yield to the power of the Holy Spirit, we are free. This is the freedom I've been talking about for 14 years. Let's get it. We no longer have to sin. Through the Holy Spirit, the virtue and the perfection, the power of Jesus is in us. We actually want to live this way. We actually do the law of God from the heart. We love him with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Oh, not perfectly. But we want to. We try to. And it, it's, it's as great a miracle as creation. And that's what Paul's trying to get at. And the Holy Spirit liberates us through Jesus Christ. So that's the freedom. And then finally, Paul continues with the Spirit's liberating gifts in verses 5 through 11. He's giving us gifts in order to live this way, my friends. He's not leaving us to our own strength. So now we consider the Holy Spirit, what he gives us in this freedom. There's four things. We'll cover two today. The first gift, verses 5 through 8, is a new way of thinking, a new mindset that he gives to all those in Christ Jesus. The bulk of the description, however, is the non-Christian mindset. Verse 5, for those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. For it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. The mindset of those without Christ has distinct characteristics. Death, hostility, indifference toward God, and an inability to submit themselves to Jesus. They just, they just won't do it. And that governs all their lives, and it's a sad reality. 
1 Corinthians 2.14 says, The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him and is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. But on the other hand, verse 6, to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. What Paul is saying is immensely important because our mindset makes all the difference to our day-to-day livings. No one should ever say to any of us here gathered, you're so heavenly-minded and no earthly good. No. No, that's not said of, of us. Because of what he's done for me and my future, I'm very earthly good. I hope. I hope you are too. We strive to be, right? Okay? It's a spirit of life and peace. We all, whatever our spiritual state, live in a, in a fallen, storm-tossed world. Amen? The rain falls on the just and the unjust. Our mindset will determine not only our eternity, but the quality of our life here and from here on. Holy Spirit gives the believer a new mindset which brings life and peace. And I don't know about you, but that's liberating. He doesn't stop there. He also gives us a new life. Verse 9 tells us all of our life is permeated by the personality of Jesus. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit does not belong to him. See, as believers, we have the Spirit of Christ, the Holy Spirit. The clear implication Paul uses the Spirit of Christ is that through the Holy Spirit's experience, we we experience a hint of Jesus in us. His gentleness, his disposition, his kindness, his love for us and for you. So Paul doesn't stop there. He continues in verse 10 and says, But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, that's me, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit that dwells in you. In other words, his abode is in you. He's imparted to you the eternal life, which is the consequence of your justification. Verse 1 reminded you that before God, you are justified. You are right. The sentence is clean. Boom. Innocent. Welcome into your rest. You are my child. Chosen. You are mine. Get over it. You are Jesus' child. Boom. Stamped on your forehead. You can't see it. He sees it. Okay? That's who we are. We have this Holy Spirit. And as we allow the Spirit of Christ to dwell in us and filled with the ethos of Jesus, and life becomes more and more to us what it is to be in Him. So Paul continues in verse 10, But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit of life. Through the Holy Spirit we have a sense of new life now and the assurance of eternal life. The Holy Spirit confirms and intensifies our insurance to immortality. You're going to live forever. 
All right? Oh, our bodies are failing. All right? Talk to my friend Ray. You know? You know? But here he is, 99. Ray's 99, folks. All right? All right? Here he is, our patriarch and our hero. Still plugging away, still growing. I met him 14 years ago. He was a little more spry. <laughs> but I'm right behind him, and so are you. All right? But Ray will live forever. All right? His spirit is forever. Your spirit is forever. The question is, are we in the favorable presence or the unfavorable presence of God? Well, that's what it means being Christ. You're in the favorable presence of God now forever. Right? That's what Paul's trying to get across to us. When evangelist D.L. Moody described his conversion experience, he said, I was in a new world. The next morning, the sun shone brighter and the birds sang sweeter. The old elms waved their branches for joy. All nature was at peace. I found that to be true. The Lord started working on me at 15, and it took about five years. And all of a sudden, just the penny dropped. Boom. Oh, I'm saved by grace through Jesus Christ. And the next day I, I woke up and I thought to myself, what a beautiful sky. There was snow on the ground. I go, that is stunning. Thank you, Lord. Spring came and the grass was greener, I swear to you. It's beautiful. Okay, it's important for us to remind ourselves of this reality. It's a new way of life. It's a new mindset. The then of living is assured by the Holy Spirit in our lives. Unfortunately, Ernest Hemingway didn't have that. Carlos Baker, in his autobiography, wrote this sad description of him the year before he died. The only resemblance to the man we had imagined was in the fullness of the face. And even the face was pale and red-veined, not ruddy and weather-beaten. We were particularly struck by the thinness of his arms and legs. He walked with tentativeness of a man well over 61. The dominant sense we had was of his fragility. They were equally surprised by his apparent inability to talk. He spoke in spurts of a few words, hardly ever in sentences. And when Hemingway died, everything was lost. But not for the believer. 2 Corinthians 4.16 says, So we do not lose heart. Though the outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. The positive sense of immortality is one of those liberating, freeing gifts of the Holy Spirit to you, my friends. You are in His presence now, and it's going to get better in the future. And one day in the new earth, We'll get a new body, renewed with our spirit, forever. And that impicts my life today. See, Christianity isn't just waiting to get my cloud in my harp. If I get a harp, I'm throwing it. I'm not playing it. Uh-uh. No. No. That's not what the Bible talks about. No. When we're in Christ, we're part of his kingdom now. It's not fully realized, but it will be one day. But we're in it. 
So let's apply this, shall we? First of all, number one, are you truly in Christ? Truly. Does any of this message convict you? Lord, yeah, I, need, I, need to do, I, need, I need to pray more. I need to read my Bible more. Okay. Amen. Welcome to the club. Let's go. We can do this. Why? Because we're in Christ. You, use the covenant that we make when we, when we baptize our children or become a member of Christ's church. That the first promise we make is, will you abide in the apostles' teaching, the fellowship of the breaking of the bread? Translated, will you read the Bible? Will you pray? Will you take a day off on Sundays? Or at least if you work on Sundays, take another day off during the week to rest and reflect on the reality of God in your life. Gather with God's people and to love God's people. Fellowship. That's what, do life together. How are you doing on those? Because the indifferent don't care. Christians care. If you're in Christ, you care. So, so let me make some suggestions. Reading your Bible. Read it actively. Don't worry about a Bible reading plan. Just start with the Gospel of John and read a paragraph. <laughs> Just start there. And tomorrow, pick up where you left off. Okay? And before you read, say, Lord, I stink at this. Show me your glory. Help me. And he will. Just read a section at a time. That's actively reading the Bible. Just don't read to read it. You know, I know you've heard me say, read large chunks. And, and I like to read large chunks. But when I read them, I read them actively. Because I got the time to do that. Some of you don't have the time to do that. If I was still teaching and coaching, I wouldn't be doing that. All right? I read the Bible in small chunks, uh, a paragraph or a chapter. And so grace, my friends, grace, but read it actively. The Lord loves it when we approach him with that posture. Two, your prayer life. Just, just use the Lord's prayer. Use those targets of the Lord's prayer. You've heard me share this with you before, but it's worth repeating. This is how I... Let's just enter into Gene Sherman's 20-year-old prayer closet. All right, you with me? All right. My Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Lord, help me to glorify you this day. Help me to be your man today. Help me to, to help people to see Jesus in me today. Help me to just make much of you, Lord Jesus Christ. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth that is in heaven. Lord, may my life reflect your reign. You're my king. I know we don't do kings very well in America, but you're mine anyway. So I have no king but King Jesus. May my life reflect your rule and reign. May my loved ones and so on. I started to name people, all right? Then I named people in my small group that I love. Just lifting them up. Transitioning to God's provision. Give me this day my daily bread. We just talk about God's provision in all things. What, what needs do I have? Lord, help me not to be a mo when I'm hanging out with so-and-so. And let me shine your light today. Whatever it might be. And then as I realize through my time in the word where I'm falling short, Lord, forgive me my sins. <laughs> Lord. And I just pray the Anglican Confession, have mercy upon me, most merciful Father. And your compassion, forgive me all my sins, known and unknown, these things done and left undone. 
And so uphold me by your spirit that I may live and serve you in the newness of life which you give me in Christ Jesus. Amen. And then the final target is God's power. That Lord, acknowledge your totally dependence upon this day as we walk with him. Deliver us from the evil one so that we may not be led into temptation. Lord, fill me with your Holy Spirit this day to live according to your truth. To seek authentic glory by means of your grace according to your truth. Recognizing that from this day on I am dead to sin and a new creation in Christ Jesus. That's how you see me. Lord, I present the members of my body, soul, and spirit all unto you. Help me to wear your armor all for your glory this day. And may I go wherever you call me to shine your light. In Jesus' name, amen. Five minutes. Five minutes, right? That's a start. That's about how long it took when I was 20. It'll grow. That's what the Lord does. So start with that and commit to it. Live into that and the Lord will bless you beyond words. Third, commit to this day. Commit to it. You know, like I said, it's an inconvenient Sunday morning. You guys are here. I love you guys. Awesome. Great job. Let's keep going. Commit to this time because God always uses it. I know it's hard to get here. I know that. But you got here and God always meets your need in his word and in the sacrament to remind you how loved you are. And to rest. And rest today. No work. All right? No work. For, for money. All right? Don't do it. All right? I don't say that as a command. I just want to remind you, Lord loves you so. You need a day of rest. I can give you statistic after statistic why it helps. And last but not least, do life with one another. This fall, be praying over the next six to eight weeks what little church group you might be part of. As you, We're going to come out with a brochure for everybody just to look through. What, where can I be part of it with my lifestyle? And if it doesn't meet your lifestyle, it doesn't meet your needs, talk to me. Talk to one of the person on the vestry and leadership how we might find a small group that you can grow in and be nurtured in and love one another. That's the first thing, what it means to be in Christ. Secondly, adopting the mindset. Adopting the new life. Live into it. You are a beloved child of God. Because that is liberation, my friends. Let us put on the mind of Christ. Have this mind in you which was also in Christ Jesus, says Paul to the Philippian church. It can be a hard thing. But as you grow in Christ, you'll find yourself desirous more and more of it. And discover the new life that's found in Christ. It is freedom. It's like this. Peter Marshall prayed this prayer before the U.S. Senate in the 50s. Oh, to have a chaplain pray a prayer like this today. He prayed, Lord Jesus, you are the way, the truth, and the life. Hear us as we pray for the truth that shall make us all free. Teach us that liberty is not only to be loved, but to be lived. Liberty is too precious a thing to be buried in books. It costs too much to be hoarded. 
Help us to see that our liberty is not the right to do as we please, but the opportunity to please to do what is right. Amen? Charles Wesley said it this way. No condemnation now I dread. Jesus and all in him is mine. Alive in him, my living head, and clothed in righteousness divine. Bold I approach the eternal throne and claim the crown through Christ my own. Amazing love, how can it be that thou, my God, shouldst die for me, for you, and for the world? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are grateful for this good news that Paul reminded us that it's not on our performance, it's totally on your performance that we have this standing before you, Lord God. And we are so grateful for that. And we pray that we would put on that mindset as we recognize your favor upon us. And we would walk in the liberating gifts that you give us, Holy Spirit, that we would put on the mind of Christ, and we would walk in the newness of life we have. And because of that, Lord, we would be a great encouragement to one another and all those whose paths we cross throughout this week. For in Jesus' name we pray, amen.